What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. We're deep enough into quarantine. I'm getting into country music. I'm coming a country boy. Now that I got an apartment with a view of dumpster bins, I just feel like it's uh, what's going to suit my lifestyle. Now, you know, there's really only two genres of music that, you know, I don't, I, I don't like digital stuff. Um, and country. Those have always been the two genres that just didn't work for me. And then everything else is kind of on a sliding scale of how much you like it, with the Grateful Dead clearly on top. But for the most part, I never liked country. I came across this song, this Eddie Rabbit, Driving My Life Away, and this thing's hitting me. hitting me. You know, like sometimes you just find a song and you just keep listening to it because it's fucking awesome. So if you guys know any other country gems out there that are just transcendent, like Johnny, Ca- Johnny Cash transcends the genre. I've listened to all of Johnny Cash and then no other country, one other song that I can think of that is worthwhile, and I'm sure there are other ones that are out there, I'm sure there are other gems, is uh, Willie Nelson had uh, Whiskey River on my mind, but you gotta listen to the version that's with the um, Willie and family. Here, here, I'll play a little bit for you, here. Whiskey River, take my mind. So that song, the Eddie Rabbit song, was so good. I was like, country might be awesome. I might have just missed out on country my whole life. So I started listening to a whole bunch of country music, and I still don't like it. Most of your country, it just it doesn't do it for me. But I thought maybe I'd overlook the entire genre. Thus far, I'm not saying that I have. Uh, so send me, if you know any of these like just ridiculously good country songs that I don't know of because I don't really listen to the genre, send it my way. The one thing, and maybe someone has already made this observation before, but one of the things I was starting to appreciate about country music in general is like rap music will be like, yo, I do drugs and I fuck bitches and I'm fucking awesome because I'm doing all these drugs and I'm fucking all these bitches and I'm on the corner dealing the drugs and fucking these bitches. And and then country's kind of like the opposite where it's like, I fucked up, I'm married, I've been drinking a lot and I fuck these bitches and I think God hates me now and I'm just a guy who drinks too much. And so I kind of like that there's a humility to the entire genre. So if you got any other gems, send it my way. The other thing that uh, that's changing, I'm a new man looking out at these dumpsters. It's a humbling experience. I'm becoming a potato man. And don't get me wrong, I still love myself some sandwiches. I'm not going all Cuomo on you. Hey, I'm too I'm too rich and my family's been in power so long that I look down on sandwich eaters. I'm not one of those individuals. In fact, I had a great sandwich for lunch today. Can I tell you, one of my favorite things has become just going to the supermarket and then buying some meat that I'm going to cook for myself. 
I, I mean, all this time of uh, bodega eating, it wasn't, I wasn't a lot of home cooking, and I, I've been getting really good at using the Instapot. I'm starting to figure out my broiler. I'm figuring out my pan game. I'm becoming a good chef. You know what I made for lunch? I made myself two hamburgers. I threw it on some rye bed with some hummus, some uh, crushed red pepper, which, by the way, B&H band, the spicy pepper, I'm going to take that as my one and only condiment. If I had to marry a condiment tomorrow, and perhaps you might argue that this is not a straight-up condiment, I could take that that thing. I'm going to make it the um, the title picture so that it's undeniable exactly which item I'm describing. And it's not the spiciest pepper object, um, but it's flavorful. And I find that it pairs very well with whatever you're eating. So anyways, I went on the bottom layer of my rye bread. I went with the crushed red pepper on the top. I went with a little bit of uh, some hummus, some barbecue sauce. I threw two burgers on there. That was a delicious lunch. But I've started uh, on the bottom of my Instapot. Here's my game. You're cooking chicken. You're throwing chicken stock. If you're throwing, if you're creating, uh, you're making like a roast, then you throw beef stock. But then for the entire bottom layer of my Instapot, I'm stacking that thing with potatoes. I cut them up real, like medium thin, but I cut it into slices. I'll do one full big ass potato. I think maybe it's the, I don't know which kind of potato. It's just the big ass potato. You know, when you got your different options, like the little red ones or the big ass ones, I go for the big ass ones. Slice it. You put it on the bottom of that Instapot, and what ends up happening? Oh, here's the other thing. You cut it up with uh with like onions, and then you cut it up with peppers. And once like you're done cooking, and all that meat flavor and everything else, the the beef stock and all that shit was down there. You end up with this ultra soft thing. It is. It, it, I'm gonna say it's like home fries. I'm sure it's not as good as your diner home fries because you go to your diner and they're frying it up, and I don't know what they're adding to it. But for the health savings. It it, it, it it works. And then what I do is I, I have, once you make your beef thing, you got your potatoes for the whole week. I, I wrap that up. I don't have any like dishes or silverware or anything. So I just kind of wrap it up in a big ball of tinfoil. And then every morning when I make my eggs, I throw it on the pan, no oil, trying to be reasonably healthy and save more of my calories for cookies in the evening. You got you to gotta think ahead here. Um, but anyways, I've been eating a lot of meals instead of bread with potatoes. I don't know if that's healthier, but let me tell you, it's kind of delicious. You just throw the potatoes in the bottom of the bowl. You throw your beef, your chicken on top of that. You just mix it up with some hummus. It kind of looks gross. I got to be honest, tastes delicious, but doesn't, doesn't, doesn't look like the most appealing thing. But I'm slowly becoming a potato man. First news topic I want to discuss. Now that we've gotten all the bullshit out of the way. And by the way, at the end of the episode, I got a really good guest on. Um, you guys know Infinite CBD. You've heard them a thousand times if you listen to any gas digital shows. Uh, a friend of mine has uh, arthritis. I got to breathe a little more. I'm, I'm getting out of breath. Maybe it's all the cat urine here, you know? Cat urine, it's uh, makes for a hard breathing environment. Um, Whatever, we might have to turn on the air conditioner at some point. Uh, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh yeah, later in the episode, uh, I wanted to talk to him about pain management. We didn't really end up talking about pain management, but we did talk about trying to run a CBD business and going up against the big old government to get it done. Very interesting conversation, so you can check that out. That's going to be in the second half of the episode. Now let's get into the news. First thing I want to talk about, did you guys see that video of the lady who went in front of the Trump building, they got that Black Lives Matter uh, thing all over the road, right in front of the Trump building. And so this lady, she goes out there, she's got this big old bucket of paint, black paint, and she starts splattering paint all over the Black Lives Matter. She's screaming some stuff. And now all of a sudden, the cops have to deal with a black lady spreading black paint all over the, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing. So one of the cops, they're like trying to, um, 
I guess, apprehender, but in a not very aggressive fashion. It's not like they're just going to tackle her. Like, they know that they're on camera, and they know that this isn't going to look very good. And so one of the cops is kind of, like, leaning over, trying to grab her. It's not like she punches him in the face or, you know, pulls, like, a stiff arm-type move, but she does, like, kind of just move her arm up. And uh, the cop wipes out in a hilarious fashion. I mean, you just want, like, that's the kind of fall you could have sent into America's Funniest Home Videos, and they'd speed it up, go forwards, backwards, forwards, backwards, the slow-motion thing. they put the... Uh, that old carnival noise in the background. Um, you know the song I'm talking about. I'm not going to hum it for you, but I can kind of hear it in my head. Anyways, the guy wipes out in hilarious fashion. Um, and it could be that that was a fall that hurt. You know, falling on pavement might hurt really, really bad. But I think we're at the beginning of soccer falls in police videos. Like everybody knows if you're interacting with the cops or the cops are interacting with you the same way that they're kind of bitches. And we got into this earlier where they're like, I'm afraid for my life. And so now you got to be like, well, I'm really afraid of you cop because you kill people um, of whatever, you know, so you got to be as uh, crazy as they are in terms of your verbiage of how you feel that they're a threat on your life. And they're going to talk about how you're a threat to them. And now everybody got to be super dramatic. And so part of the dramaticism now is that if you're a cop and you take a fall, you got to you got to you got to lay on the floor until that scorecard comes around and throws that yellow. I don't think they throw yellow flags in soccer. I think they just uh, mark it down and then you end up with extra time to score goals. I don't know how that sport works because it's not a good sport. Um, The other thing that's been going on, which I'm sure you've been following the story, is the Epstein uh, Maxwell shenanigans. Uh, so I'm not going to fill you in. You know what's going on. What's your guys's take? What do you think is really the story there? Because the more I somewhat look into it, I think it's pretty clear that he was CIA Mossad. Like, I, I think that's the only thing that makes sense. You look into where this Wexner money was coming from. You look into the fact that he wasn't really prosecuted the last time. The whole thing, I, I, there's no other explanation for it that would seem to make any sense whatsoever. Uh, the other thing that is creepy as all fuck is you had that chick who was in the documentary as one of the most vocal people against uh, Epstein and specifically uh, Dershowitz, Dershowitz, the rotten Jew guy. Um, terrible teeth, by the way. You would think for all like th- that's something that really gets me to d- mistrust people. Like I get having bad teeth. I got bad teeth. I don't want to go to a fucking dentist. I'm nervous about the cost of it. I- I'm not good at making appointments. I'm a wreck of a human being. It would make sense why I wouldn't want to take care of things. But if you're a Harvard lawyer genius guy and you've got all this fucking money, what excuse do you have? And you're on the news all the time. Like you must see the way you look when you go on the news. How do you not just do one Fox News appearance and go, holy shit, my my mouth looks like the the dumpsters I'm staring out of my window. Like, sure, I might be making the most profound arguments, but I probably sound like a fucking sewer grate. Uh, go look at Dershowitz. I mean, he's got, it's like the teeth of the Joker. You watch like a Joker movie and you just see those fucking rot coming out of his mouth. And, you know, you can't think anything other than these Jews must be evil. <laughs> Anyways, so she was the one, I think she was saying that Dershowitz slept with her. Maybe it was someone else who was uh, making that accusation. But anyways, Dershowitz is uh, tied into this because I believe he was even one of the lawyers who helped uh, put together that plea bargain for Mr. Epstein the last time, which allowed him to continue working from home. Anyways, this is a whole long-winded thing. 
oh yeah, creepy as hell. So that chick, the one who used to look like Amy Schumer, has cancer. There, this is how conspiratorial my brain is getting. I'm like, do these people have that much power that they can somehow figure out how to like make you slowly die? You know, that they can expose you to something where you get slow horrible cancer and that you die young and no one can go that because like if they just off that chick everyone would know it the way to do it would be to somehow you know poison her in a way that would mask the fact that they've offed her and i'm not saying that that happened i'm not saying i'm just kind of saying that the whole thing seems so fucked up that that's a really scary thought to me is that imagine if they have the power to do that they know that they can't just assassinate people anymore so they develop something that just gives you cancer uh the one thing that's really weird to me in this uh whole maxwell uh you know thingy thing is you know that you're doing this illegal shit why are you recruiting american women i just it would seem to me like if you're recruiting you know they're beautiful people out in the world uh and it seems like other countries they don't quite have the laws or framework that we have so i'm just saying if you were a diabolical pedophile, kid-loving asshole, wouldn't you, like, why would you create the infrastructure to recruit Americans? The only answer I could think is maybe makes for better blackmail. Maybe the fact that even it's, even though it's being done abroad, if it's Americans, then, you know, I guess you're liable to the laws of America. But I would think it's not so much the legal framework here of having the blackmail on people. I would think it's more the exposure of look at what this sick creep politician is doing that he's going to private, you know, islands to have sex with little kids. I would think we would care whether or not the children were American or Venezuelan. I don't think it would make much of a difference. Um, but I think uh, the answer to that question might just be you got to look at, you know, the world 10, 15 years ago, even before the Internet, before everyone had a voice on social media. And when, you know, the media was probably more controlled by just a handful of news networks. So between the fact of you being intelligence and I think the news networks colluding with the intelligence agencies, you must figure, hey, we're free and clear. But this is all down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theory. I don't think anybody fucking knows. Uh, I do hope we find out, and I do hope the Jews aren't really just totally behind this one. Because you want to talk about that general, hey, the Jews are the depraved ones, and uh, Israel is creating all the problems in this country. Uh, if it turns out that we were behind Epstein, that's it's not going to be a good look. But, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully there will be pers- perfectly reasonable explanations and uh, Maxwell will go down the same as Epstein, and no one will ever know, and, you know, we can just move on with our lives. Uh, next story I want to discuss is uh, Johnny Depp. Talk about people getting in trouble. What do you guys think? Fucking baller? Is it fucking baller his lifestyle? They just, like, I admire people that are still pretty good-looking when they're their age, getting recklessly hammered and passing out on a couch while eating ice cream. Or I admire a guy who's such a look that you can look half like homeless. I like. I think he's got a bit of like a gold tooth and like greasy fucking face type thing going on. You know, he's not like a clean cut handsome. He's more of like a maybe like a Keith Richards rock star. I don't know. I'm not gay, so I don't. I can't quite peg in what way. Johnny Te- Johnny Depp is considered attractive to people. Um, maybe if you're one of the ladies or um, homosexuals who listen to the show, please email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. I didn't do my research on this beforehand to 
look into the ins and outs of exactly why Johnny Depp is considered to be so attractive to people. Like Brad Pitt, I kind of get. He's got the he's got the abs. He's got the uh, like. This is kind of my marker for, I guess, uh, I, this is a fucking weird-ass conversation, but whatever. Let's get into it. We're free-flowing We're free flowing here. I'm in my own place. I don't think the neighbors can hear me. We can explore homoerotic thoughts. For the longest time, I, literally, I, like, I couldn't even quite peg, um, I guess, what would make a dude more attractive than another dude. Um, but then I realized that, like, if I'm watching a movie or if, like, in my head I think a dude is cool... That's in, that is kind of my brain's way of saying that that person's attractive. So like when you watched uh, Fight Club, you know, and I was like 13, who the fuck seemed cooler than Brad Pitt? And that's just you being a homosexual and thinking Brad Pitt's attractive. That's really all that is. It, it's it's your misplay because we're all really homosexuals. Sexuality is just on a scale. And at some point, if you watch enough Netflix and you watch enough shows where you invest in the character and they always become homosexuals for some reason, you start to understand that we all have these homosexual feelings. And then at some point, you even realize that you're not supposed to be the gender that you think you are. And that's when you start swapping parts and you really get to explore your life. This was a weird rabbit hole. I don't know why, um, you know, okay, anyways, I've been living alone too long. <laughs> Trying to talk about Johnny Depp. And Johnny Depp, he's in trouble. And we're wondering, is this a baller lifestyle? Do you look at what's going on with Johnny Depp and do you go, that's fucking baller? What I admire is that at every level of life, there just there seems to be some bullshit. You would think if you're Johnny Depp, you got all this money. Everyone thinks you're so handsome. You could be with a chick, live drama-free. But you know what I think the, the truth to life is? No one likes drama-free. I think I think that's the uh, th- that's the truth. That's the pearl of wisdom here. Is that life is about struggle, and so you'll even you'll fabricate struggle. You get the, you get the comfort life, and you start looking for chaos. You start looking for problems. I was just thinking about this for me. I'm not I'm not here preaching. I'm not walking around looking at the dumpsters outside of my window, having trouble breathing because of all the cat urine in my carpet. That I'm not trying to stand here and say, hey, I'm living the good life. I understand it all, and here's the way you should live. That's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm all about. But I was thinking about this. You ever see the movie? Um, I think it was, uh, uh, oh yeah, There Will Be Blood. You ever see that movie? It's a pretty good movie. I think it's on Netflix. So you can go watch it for free in between watching all the other shows with characters that, you know, become gay by the end of it. Um, so you can go watch that movie of There Will Be Blood. And I pose a question for you. And I understand it's a movie. It's a fictional character. But I do still pose a question, and now if you've never seen the movie, I might be somewhat ruining it for you. But it's been out for a long time, so you can't get upset at me. You can't be like, hey, I was uh, really looking forward to watching that. Hold on, i got to open up this other window. Okay, so for the first three quarters of that movie, he's out on an adventure. He's trying to become an oil tycoon. He's... Uh, He's going up and down the country trying to find areas of land where he can harvest the oil and then how he can harvest the oil and then how he can do it and get around every other company's monopolies. How can he harvest the oil, get it all the way out to the ocean and become an oil tycoon? And guess what? He pulls it off. But then if you if you look at the movie, once he pulls it off, he just seems to me like he's a miserable drunk and he's uh, in his house just drinking. At what point do you think he was enjoying his life more? I'm talking about the fictional character, and I would say it's when he was out there having the adventure and trying to piece it 
shit together when he had nothing. When he had nothing and he was out there and he's like, hey, shit, I think we're going to discover oil. And then he has that moment where he does find the oil and then he's got to build the design for getting it out of the ground and then he's got to figure out how to get it to the ocean. And I think every step of the way, that was a fucking thrill. And then once he was done and there was nothing to struggle with, he's just fucking bored and so he's at home drinking because he won. And once you've won, you know, well, what are you supposed to do? Play the game again? It's like anything. It's like a video game. You already won. Well, what are you supposed to do now? Anyways, that's uh, going back to the Johnny Depp thing. And then whatever bullshit you're dealing with, just understand at every level there's bullshit. And if there's not, you're going to be bored and miserable anyways. So you might as well just embrace the struggle and the bullshit. But the dirty deets are great. You, you just got... <laughs> This incredibly hot chick who's apparently shitting in beds. How hot do your would your girlfriend need to be that you? I guess if you're partying, you can look the other way on that kind of shit. It's like if you're if she's gonna tolerate that you're doing coke every night, you can't get mad at her if she did coke and she's younger than you and so she shat the bed. It's like you know maybe she can't party as hard as you can, but you're trying to live that party lifestyle, so you can't get upset about it. Anyway, this was a whole long-winded thing for no reason. I was just trying to get to one thing, which was there was video of Johnny Depp. He's being brought into the courthouse and he's being bombarded by fans that adore him. They just want to get one look at Johnny Depp's not so beautiful face. And I'm not trying to take a stance and say Johnny Depp's not beautiful. I'm just saying I don't understand why he's considered on the uh, on the gorgeous list. Like there's people that you just understand. They put them on the gorgeous list. And like, I get why that guy's on the gorgeous list. This guy, I don't get why he's on the gorgeous list. Anyways, they're trying to bring him to the courthouse and he got this like bodyguard and he rushes him past the crowd. And then once the guy like rushes him past the car crowd, he just like he just continues to hold on to him. It's like his moment to cuddle Johnny Depp. It's like, I'm not letting you go, Johnny. This is mine and your time. The 10 steps between here, this crowd and the courthouse. This is for me and you. And so he just kind of keeps holding him. And uh, I was amused by that. You can go look it up. Anyways, if you don't follow me on Twitter, Robbie the Fire, go go get over there. I've also uh I've gone on Instagram. I'm going to start posting kind of like uh, weekly little little videos. Maybe it depends if uh, I find stories that are inspiring. This past week I found two, so I put up two. One was on, uh, you know, Trump's uh, appearance on Fox News that everyone was going ape shit about. And then the other one was on, um, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was on uh, Kanye announcing running, throwing that crazy conference, and then backing out of the race so uh, anyways up on twitter i posted this bit video of biden and you've got to go watch this video that i posted on biden you don't have to go through my entire feed i wrote a whole sandwich rant it, it, there's a simple way to find it you go to like uh on the right side and by the way this is a good tool if you ever find a chick and you want to stalk through her pictures you just you know what i'm going to walk you through this process because i don't want to give you bad instructions and if there's a chick on twitter and you want to stalk her pictures i want to give you the shortcut because that's what i do on this podcast i try and make your lives easier and better okay so on the right side, where there's like the pictures and shit, oh, whoops, oh yeah, um, you can click on the pictures, and then you can just click through all the pictures that the person posted. You don't have to look at their tweets, you don't have to look at anything, you don't have to respect them as a human being, uh, or the other one is where it says tweets, tweets and replies and media. Maybe this is just common knowledge, maybe this is something that everyone listening to this podcast already knew, but I, at this point I've got like 2,000 listeners, so if there was one person that didn't know this information, then sharing this was worthwhile. So you just click on media, and you can pull up the videos. You can see these uh, two things I put together in front of the orange television that doesn't exist. I drew that. There's no really, there isn't really an orange television. I want you guys to know that. Uh, but anyways, I put up this video of 
Biden. He was on MSNBC. And there's a moment. It's 27 seconds in. Um, and his face glitches. I'm telling you, when I was watching this, I felt like I was having this moment in the Matrix where I was seeing something that I wasn't supposed to see. And then I was rushing to get the tweet out because I was convinced that by the time I'd gotten the tweet out, the powers that be would have figured out that they had made this error and that they would have corrected it. That is how freaky this is. Now, I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation. I've been on Zoom conference calls quite a bit. People flake out. I'm sure that this got uploaded, and in whatever way it got uploaded, it was probably at the same time that there was a misstable connection, and so it just kind of, you know, glitched out and repatched his face. But there's a second while you're watching this that it really looks like perhaps maybe even like Biden doesn't exist and they're digitally remaking him or that he's got like, I, I, I don't know, maybe some sort of a makeup thing going on where in post they're trying to make him look more youthful than he is. But his left eye glitches to the point where you, when you're watching it, you're like... I just saw something I wasn't supposed to see. That was an error that wasn't supposed to be put out in this form. And whoever at the CIA is responsible for making it seem like Biden's still alive is probably getting fired. Um, so it's worth watching. I put it into one of my short videos, but the 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 cut on it wasn't like good enough to really show it. But even as I've gone back to watch this again, because I thought like the first time I barely even caught it, I was just like, oh, that looked weird. But the way it digitally fixes itself, it goes out for a second and then just like corrects itself in a completely digital fashion that I'm sure it's just a little small technical glitch, but it's creepy. So go check that out. It's um, MSNBC. If you want to just find it on your own, it's Joe Biden says four black women are on his VP list. And it, it the moment of the small glitch is at uh, like 27 seconds and I, maybe at this point I'm overselling it because now like I'm watching it and I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad. But I'm just telling you that like the first time it is so weird that it's um, it's eerie. So go check that out. You probably have time on your hands um, in between listening to country music. And then the scary thing about Biden um, is that we're already living in this. Um, you know what? I want to read this piece from from this book first. Uh, I, I read this uh, random book every once in a while. I've mentioned this guy. Gearchiff, and last week in the last two weeks, I was kind of ranting and raving about how I hate this um, this landscape that we're in, where if like you don't swear allegiances to certain values, you're just considered evil. And I think that there should be more respect for people's um, opinions in general, and there should be more of a climate for open dialogue. And I think the other perspective is. Um, uh, it's a form of thought control. It's anti-free speech. There's a lot of negative to it. But then I was reading this book and I thought that it put forward a very powerful idea that kind of touches on this unacceptance of other human beings. And I'd like to share it with you guys because I thought it was um, pretty powerful. Here we go. I'm going to read it. I will give you an example of what I call the beginning of violence. In the Sufi school of esotericism, which came in after Muhammad and worked on the Quran, and in fact gave an entirely different explanation of the Quran, there was a so-called mystical poet called Sadi. As a youth, Sadi was very religious, and in the ordinary sense, and on one occasion when the Quran was being read to a class, he said to his father that he had noticed that many of the boys went to sleep, and he thought that this was very bad. His father said to him, 
So all you have got from this reading of the Quran is nothing but finding fault with others. I assure you, my son, it would have been better had you been asleep like those boys you criticize. Now perhaps you will not see that this is the beginning of violence. Perhaps you do not see what I mean. Is intolerance the be- is intolerance the-, the beginning of violence? Is feeling you are better than others the beginning of violence? If you think that you are better than others, superior to others in the wrong way, do you think that this can bring about violence? Here lies a very deep research, a very long path of understanding. You remember the old, uh, and then it gets like weirder and more um, esoteric. But I thought that he basically goes on a piece about saying how um, it's actually a note on kind of violence and war. But I thought that that was an interesting approach that in seeing that you're better than other people, it becomes a framework by which you can, um, you know, have a path towards violence by them by saying, like I was saying with the Black Lives Matter, hey, we're in the special group. But it's not just that. If you can judge people as being others or being in some way negative, then you've got a reason for, you know, firstly, you're introducing just a negative energy to the world because you're creating harsh judgment for people. Um, but I thought that was interesting that he even took it as so far as to saying that that's the first step to violence. Uh, and then what kind of scares me about, you know, Biden is... I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm already kind of affected by this um, this like new landscape where, you know, there's just this projection of white man equals evil. I don't know about you guys. How many of you guys uh, have recently applied for a job or a promotion and at least had the thought in your head of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be eligible for this because I'm a white male? Or how many of you in your career know for a fact that you've missed out on opportunities or, you know, maybe that's just that we're all cunts and everybody, because I hear from women, I hear from women, oh, I can't get ahead because I'm a female. And then I'm like, well, just fucking work hard. And I still, that's my personal approach in life is just fucking work hard and figure out how to go win. That, that, that That's all you can do. Control what you can. This actually comes up with John later in the interview as he kind of discusses, um, you know, uh, in some way, he doesn't quite say it in these terms, so I don't want to reinterpret him, but he does kind of describe some of the hiccups of the business landscape in working in um, CBD or just even like marijuana affiliated industries, but you know, CEO uh, trying to run a successful business, he, you know, he takes that attitude, control what you can, but there definitely is a growing tide of, you know, white man evil. And it seems like Biden is kind of aggressively leaning into that camp. And then I read this article in the wall street journal, um, which I'd like to read for you. It was an opinion piece, but I thought that this was somewhat alarming. And usually I'm the one screaming uh, that what the alarmists are saying is alarming. But in this case, I'm going to use their verbiage. So the article was called A Peek Inside a Biden Fed. The bottom monetary mandate also would open the door to regulatory mischief, which is the real prize for the progressive less. Under a diversity mandate, the Fed could require the banks it regulates to collect detailed data about the racial makeup of employees and their pay at company applying for loans. The, ba- the data could then form a basis for enforcement action against banks that didn't do enough to reduce racial pay gaps via their lending decisions, whatever enough means. In the wilds of social justice Twitter or a treasury run by Elizabeth Warren, this would be a back way to impose thorough regulatory pressure, various wage and diversity rules that otherwise couldn't pass Congress or survive the Supreme Court. Such a data trove would provide bottomless fodder for grandstanding politicians on Capitol Hill. We know where this politicization of commercial lending will end up because it happened before in the housing market. A 1989 law mandating racial data collection for mortgage applicants set up a flurry of studies 
1992 paper from the Boston Fed was a notable example, purporting to find rampant discrimination. Those results fizzled on closer inspection, but not before regulators used the data as a reason to block at least one bank merger and loosen lending standards for many borrowers. Those lending changes contributed to the 2007-08 mortgage meltdown. Uh, And so I think... Once again, in my notes, I kind of I kind of fucked this up, but the article was really about creating a mandate at the Fed um, for like racial equality, so that when essentially when the Fed is creating interest rates or other monetary policy, it's not enough just to look at full employment; they have to actually create like standards around black employment. They got to look at the economy and make sure that um, the Fed itself is taking actions that create racial equality. Uh, which, if you start thinking about the ramifications, is fairly scary. The other thing that happened, which was kind of weird and just in terms of the Federal Reserve, and I've already read, like, too much, so I don't want to read you guys anymore. You can look up the piece, New York Times, um, and it was opinion piece about reserve, um, about Judy Shelton. So you got this lady, Judy Shelton, uh, you know, Trump's trying to nominate her as one of the Federal Reserve, I think they call it governors. There's like a couple, only a couple people on that board. Man, I really probably should have looked up these numbers before. And I'm going to just eyeball that it's eight or 10 of them and that they are, in fact, called governors. And those are like the people that sit on top of the individual branches, like the New York Fed, the Philly Fed. I think there's one in St. Louis. You know, for all the reading I do on the Fed, I'm not totally on top of some of the inner workings of these things. Either way, it's evil. It doesn't matter if it's 8, 10, 2, 4, 6 or nine it's fucking evil and it's uh the peace that allows our overlords to live above us and you know i don't know that that's the most poetic way to say it but at the end of the day that's mostly true um and alan dershowitz has terrible teeth and he's personally responsible for it but anyways so this lady they are going nuts about her they're screaming they're ranting and raving she's saying that that not only she's terrible but she's got backwards ideas that the federal reserve has saved us from recessions you got to see how many more depressions there were before this bank was there before they did and it's like firstly your evidence fucking sucks because who the hell knows what the end results of their um expansionary monetary policy is going to be it's like yeah partying is fucking fun i know this is a peter schiff example but you know if you keep taking cocaine in the morning to not have your hangover maybe you're going to die at age 40 because your heart can't and sure, every on a daily basis, that might have been, like on a yearly basis, it might be better for the economy, yes, that they keep fucking stimulating shit. But at what point does that not continue to work and then the whole thing fucking falls to pieces? That's one of my biggest problems with like even the, you know, the MMT or the basic like what any of these expansionary monetary deficit spending people is, is you look at the current landscape and you go, well, we're spending all this money and, you know, we're getting away with it. So clearly it's a good idea. It's like, no, no, but we're trying to forecast the fact that that's going to be a problem. You know what else? I was thinking about this the other day. You've seen a million of these movies and I can't really think of a million. I'm mostly just thinking of the one. Um, with Johnny, the one that was on Johnny Cash's life, but there must be another one. I, I'll think of another example soon enough. But you look at like these movies that are on these rock stars and they're about their lives of using drugs. And in the early part of the drug use, they're having a shit ton of fun. Uh, they're getting laid. They're getting up on stage, and it's amazing. And then at some point, it turns the corner where they're doing all the drugs, but now they're not even happy. The drugs aren't working and people keep coming to them and saying, hey, you got to stop using these drugs and they don't want to listen to them. And then at some point they finally realize just how bad the drugs really are for them. And then they clean up and then, you know, they probably end up going back to the drugs. But I feel like that's where America is with spending money. 
we're now at this point where it's like government spending all this money, but it we're, we're not happy. Nobody's happy here. Nobody's really getting what they want. Everyone feels like they deserve more. You know, for like a while, it's like a drug. We were using it, and it felt pretty good. You know, from the entire time of basically the baby boomers run, these guys were able to get houses. It was working out. Now, all of a sudden, it just seems like we're borrowing and spending more than ever, but your average person cannot live the lifestyle of our parents. All of a sudden, our grandparents, they were single-income households where moms were staying home, and they seem to have been able to take vacations own houses, and then all of a sudden, our parents or, you know, the people of our generation seem to be two-income households, and they, I think you all understand this trend that I am stating. Do I have the exact graph in front of me to prove it to you as being accurate? No, but I've certainly read these articles that kind of look at um, general lifestyles in this country and how living seems to have become more expensive, even as they say that inflation doesn't exist. And what I'm trying to say is that the government spending is like that drug and we're at that stage in the movie where we're not even having fun with the drug anymore. We're just continuing to use it and it doesn't really even seem to be working. And so anyways, the Democrats or the liberals or really even the conservatives at this point, they're so invested in this current structure where government's got to use the deficit spending and spend, 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 spend. And the Federal Reserve is really the vehicle that allows for all of that to happen. Um, in the loose monetary policy, and then you get a lady coming along with some good ideas saying, hey, I really think we got to tie this thing to gold. If we don't tie this thing to gold, it's always going to be a problem. And then they yell and they holler and whatever happened to all that, we need more women in economics. That I always thought that was one of those fields where like, there's not enough women. And apparently it's not just that we need women, we need to have women that have the exact political philosophies as you do. So we both, it's not really about the gender or the race. It's about gender, race, and reflective of the exact opinions that you're looking for. Anyways, you can go look that lady up. I thought that that was interesting. And then the other thing that I found, um, I'm going to use the word alarming again. There we go. Double alarms. One episode was, I was reading this um, article in Forbes about how the Fed is going to buy stocks. And then I'm just going to read you two paragraphs. That's not that much for me to read to you. Look at the bright side. You didn't read as much as I did this week. And I actually read less this week than I usually do because I was editing those videos. And then I took two days off because I felt like I earned it and I masturbated more than usual. But what I did with my time while I wasn't working unpaid to create content is not your business. Anyways, I'm reading, oh yeah, so I was trying to say, you know, don't get upset at me for reading articles. I'm the one reading all this shit and then highlighting all of four paragraphs from multiple pages that I've read. So if anything, I'm doing you a service here. So don't be annoyed at me for doing something boring like reading you a paragraph. I'm spoon feeding you the, the best part of the salad. It's like I sifted through all the salad for the one thing that was going to give you the vitamins you need. Now you're upset at me for that? You know, okay, here we go. <laughs> In a leveraged and liquidity-dependent world, a fall in the U.S. stocks and a rise in the VIX has an immediate negative consequence for the economy, forcing the Fed to act. In 2008 and again in 2020, the Fed was able to support the S&P 500 indirectly by lowering rates, purchasing government debt, and making loans to buy risky bonds. With each intervention, they crept closer to buying stocks. This is no accident. When the Fed intervenes to support markets, it suppresses volatility and, trunc and truncates losses for carry trades. This, in turn, encourages them to grow in size and scope, thus almost automatically guaranteeing the next round of support will need to be larger. The most recent round stopped just short of buying equities. The next round will take over the thresholds. And here's, what I, here's why I think everyone who's in... Uh, kind of finance and the, the banks keep winning um, is that 
you got to real like the chief good of the United States of America is the dollar. That's the most important thing. And it's all about dollar demand. As long as people will buy up our debt, we can continue to print dollars. Politicians can remain in power and we can pretend like we're all powerful and that everything's working out and it's wonderful and it's good, blah, 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 blah. But the issue is that sometimes things happen that would signal to people that there isn't, and by the way, I'm kind of talking out of my ass here. This is kind of my, my the framework in my head, but it would signal to people that there really isn't all that much dollar demand or that the dollar isn't that powerful or that the world financial systems really aren't all that healthy. And so you've got like a lot of items that are kind of used as collateral, one of which might even be, um, I guess, the value of the S&P 500 or company shares. I, I don't really understand exactly how the S&P works in this. I more understand how the repo market or, um, you know, uh, I guess like uh, bonds and other things kind of play into this. But the point is, uh, kind of like what happened in the last recession, the first things that failed were, um, you know, a couple hedge funds that were deeply invested into these, uh, the mortgage-backed securities, right? So what happens is like, let's say you just have one firm and it's going to go belly up because of the mortgage-backed securities. And all of a sudden realize like everyone starts going like, holy shit, this one firm's going up because of these mortgage-backed securities. Like what's going on? And then they start looking into what other debt might be mispriced or what other government policies might have created credit asset bubbles. Like all of a sudden people are just starting to question the system. So what the government does is they come in and they just make the, you know, they make the mortgage security problem go away, so nobody looks at the other stuff. So the fraud in that is that everyone who's involved in the mortgage security thing, they get their bailout. This did not happen. I'm describing a theoretical framework for how government is able to keep um, basically confidence in the currency and keep up dollar demand. Let's go to a more specific example that I know is accurate because I believe that that's what they did in the repo market. Remember, we were talking about the repo market. There were problems in the repo market long before Corona came around and the Fed decided to give all the money in the world over to BlackRock to buy out, um, you know, to basically support all of their bond positions. And what was going on in the repo market? I don't know. It's all over my head. But what I think was going on is that there was some sort of a currency problem and banks weren't able to get their hands on enough cash to give to each other. Or for some reason, banks had the insight that bond rates were going to fall like crazy and that interest rates were going down even more. And so they were unwilling to give up any of their, um, you know, any of their government collateral because they knew the value in it. That goes so far over my head, I can't even begin to understand it. But what I can understand is that there was a price signal problem in a very small area of the banks. And so the government comes in and says, hey, I want to get rid of this problem. So we're just going to give you guys the liquidity you need. And that seems to me what they keep doing is they go, oh, there's a problem in this financial market. So we'll give you the liquidity you need. Problem over here. Here's the liquidity you need. And here's the thing. The whole system fucking doesn't work. It will go belly up, but it's easy for them to just control like the the small signal where, you know, we would notice that the whole thing's going to go belly up. So it's like they put a bandit on this, they put the bandit on this, and then the people who work in those industries, so they're getting the handout. In other words, so the, the more of a problem you are, uh, the quicker you will get the bailout because no, the government doesn't want people to realize, hey, there's systematic issues um, of currency in general. That was a bit of a fucking rant. I could probably do more research uh, so that that could come out more coherent. I'm just giving you my overall framework for what I believe is going on in the financial markets and the scam of why people who work in that industry benefit 
because they will go like they're the most leveraged. So they will go belly up first. And when they go belly up, everyone's going to realize, holy shit, what is my currency really worth? Or how does this system really function? Or other countries might go, why am I using all this dollar? Or, you know, the whole fucking thing will unravel. So they got to plug the, the, you know what I mean? It's like the fi- if we were in a rowboat, um, the banks and these other financial establishments, they're like the first holes. So they get plugged first and they just keep getting plugged each time. And I guess if you were a plank of wood... And you're female, so you really want to. You really want to get filled first. You want to be plugged up, so they're the winners. I, I don't know that that made as much sense as I was hoping for, but let's just move forward. Here's the next thing I wanted to read for you. So we've talked about BlockRock before. We've talked about how they are the big winners in this current bailout. And here's what they did. They basically said, "Listen, we're we're a charitable company. We understand that the government." And the Federal Reserve, they want to give all this money into, they want to create this liquidity in the market, and they're not able to do so. It's illegal. So let us help you out. Create this special purpose vehicle. Give us the money, and we'll, we'll distribute it to the people that need it. We're not even going to get, we're, listen, we make billions of dollars. We'll, we'll do this for a couple million dollars. It's pennies. It barely even pays our staff. But because we're charitable, we're going to help you out, and, and that's what we're going to do for you guys. So you just give us all the money. We'll distribute it the way you need it. And you, well, listen, we're not even going to profit off of this. And people were going, yeah, that's not a conflict of interest. That's wonderful. And this is how much they can just scam right in front of us. But here was really going on. They were the ones who had the, the most to profit because they were the ones who packaged these fucking bond packages to everybody else or hey, they, they're investing in bonds or whatever the fuck it is. And the bonds are going belly up because they were high yield, which really just means high risk. They were going to shit. And so they get the Fed money to bail out their own investment while pretending like, oh, we're just we're, we're, we're barely even getting paid to, for for funneling this to the locations that the Fed wants it. So I want to read this to you. Money management giant BlackRock's quarterly profit rose 21% as investors leaned on its bond funds to make rapid bets in volatile markets rolled by the coronavirus pandemic. Driving the company's performance, BlackRock's bond exchange traded funds did a brisk business in the quarters. Traders and financial institutions used ETFs to zip in and out of markets, make wagers, or hedge their portfolios during an uncertain period for the economy. ETFs are a collection of instruments that trade like stocks on exchanges. We're seeing an economy that is almost bipolar, BlackRock chiefs executive Lawrence Fink said. Some parts of the economy are doing quite well, and some parts are doing quite poorly. BlackRock's bond ETF took in a record quarterly $57 billion in net flows. The firm also posted net inflows overall into all ETFs in the second quarter with more complex, higher-fee ETF strategies generally taking in the bulk of flows. The quarter illuminates the importance of the ETF market, Mr. Fink said in an interview. BlackRock's gains signal the firm um, that the firm with $7.3 trillion under management stands to cement its power in a word shaken by COVID-19. This week, several large financial firms posted quarterly results, with some able to withstand the impact of the pandemic so far, and others hurt by continued low rates in a weak economy. Money management businesses were aided by a rebound in many markets. A quarter ago, asset managements came under acute pressure as markets sold off, but after the Federal Reserve rushed in to stabilize markets, many investment firms reaped the benefits of the Fed's intervention in the second quarter. Higher asset prices translate to bigger revenues for managers like BlackRock. Asset managers take a cut of fees on money they oversee for investors. There you go. The scam right before our very eyes. BlackRock, you know, they posted a quarterly profit raise of 21%. And don't be fooled for once. Don't don't tell me for one second that without the Fed money throwing... 
flowing through BlackRock, they would have posted. It would not. This is fraud. This is completely fraudulent. And the reason, and by the reason why these players are getting the money first is because they're just the they're the first that are going to go because they're the most leveraged. And if these people go under, then all of a sudden it signals to everybody, hey, this fucking system is, is screwy and it's out of whack. And so they can't let that happen. And so basically what you need, what we all need to do is figure out how to be the fight. It, 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 it's not just like too big to fail. It's like, uh, you just you don't even need to necessarily be too big to fail. You just have to somehow be a crucial part of the system where you signal that the fact that when you go under, it's not working properly. All right. Now, here's just one more thing that uh, scares me. And then we can all calm down and have a conversation about how CBD is relaxing, except you're not allowed to actually make those claims. But, you know, just eat eat eat, uh, eat some star gummies or whatever and relax during the next piece. Uh so now they're talking about the first human case of the bonic plague. Uh, I think a squirrel had it first, and then it turned into a zombie squirrel, and then it ate another zombie squirrel, and then you ended up with a whole army of zombie squirrels, and then the zombie squirrels, they started attacking people in Colorado. The reason why they attacked people in Colorado first is because they have the funny-looking hats. Squirrels like to hide um, nuts underneath objects, and so they know that hair is hidden underneath hats, and so it attracts them to people in Colorado. I don't remember what article I read that in. I just made it up. That's why. Uh, but anyways, the thing that scares me about this bubonic plague thing, it's not just that I'm a germy and I'm getting really used to just staying home. And this is like the ultimate excuse to never have to leave your house. And I kind of like that. But I think there's like somewhat of a new normal here of that the same way the you know the news gets good ratings when they report on a school shooting. I think every single time that like Here's the better way to state this. How many t- before, how often was there a random report of a disease and was that reported? I don't know. I have no idea. I'd love to see that data. But now, anytime you have any incident that could be like a coronavirus type thing, they're going to report it and they're going to scare the shit out of us. I, that is what I'm really afraid of is that there's a new normal here of living in a climate where they will scare the shit out of us about diseases that may or may not be horrible risks to the human population. Like here, here, go, go research zombie deers. I remember reading about zombie deers uh, and this one I'm not making up. I know I was making up the squirrel thing. I was reading about zombie deers. Um, maybe it was like a year ago and I don't know what zombie deer is. I think it's something somewhat similar to mad cow disease. And, um, basically I don't know. You, you got to go look it up. It's some sort of a horrible disease in deers. Uh, I don't even know what it is because I don't remember. I was reading about it a year ago. But the thing that I was reading about that was freaky was they were, you know, creeping me out about zombie deer spreading. Maybe that zombie. I, I don't know. I really don't know how zombie deer works. I just remember being really freaked out when I was reading this article about it expanding because, uh, you know, that's the way I am. I read a news story. I like to get excited about it. I like to get really scared. And I'm going to guess that zombie deer is not a huge issue because I have read about it since but if when i had read that article all of a sudden everywhere there was nothing but talk about zombie deer i'd be like we gotta get out there and kill these fucking deers 
We all got to get ourselves some fucking bow and arrows. We got to get out there with, with our knives. We got to paint ourselves like Rambo. And we got to make sure that we kill all the fucking... Nobody's eating deer anymore. If you're eating deer, then it, that's like not wearing a face mask. You are, you are putting the entire country in nature... Uh, sorry, the entire country in danger because deers are becoming zombies. And I've seen enough zombie movies that we don't want people to start becoming zombies. And then you're not going to know who is and who isn't a zombie. Uh, and I, I don't... Okay. I'm fucking rambling. The point I was trying to make is that there's scary shit that's going on in the world all the time. And I guess they can amplify anything to make us feel like it's the worst thing that, 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 that possible. That, and so it's like, now I'm super concerned that I guess we've seen the ratings. I'm assuming that news networks are having better ratings or at least the attention that they get in terms of being in a climate. Uh, what I'm basically saying is they're now a perverse incentive for people to scare the shit out of us on diseases that might not be an absolute horrible risk to our well-being. And is that now going to be somewhat of a new normal where journalists, you know, I guess they probably like to get some sort of coverage or whatever. Like, how many people do you think now it's almost the, the same way comedians are? Or at least I'm, I'm somewhat guilty of this myself. You know, people got really successful doing their podcast. They're like, oh, I guess the thing I have to do now is is create a podcast. So how many people are in journalism? And, you know, maybe before they would have covered war. But now they're like, I want to become a guy who covers diseases. That's what everyone's interested in. It's the disease talk. I'm going to become the disease journalist. And so then all of a sudden you got a lot of false alarms because everyone's trying to cover diseases. All right, listen, we fucking, we just did it. I, I paced around. I was out of breath. I, I hooted and hollered. I gave you guys the rundown on all the news I saw this past week. I read you random quotes from Christian esoteric books, random pieces of articles. I plugged my YouTube page. I plugged my Twitter. I plugged my Instagram. If you're not following me in those places, go follow me. If you haven't really subscribed and given five stars to the show, I don't even want you listening to it anymore. No, please, please continue to listen. But, you know, I, I, I hope that your next sandwich doesn't taste 100% delicious. I hope it's like a 7 out of 10. And I hope if you review, subscribe, then the next thing you eat is a 10 out of 10. I bless you that you have a delicious sandwich. And now... Really fun conversation with uh, John from Infinite CBD. He's a cool dude. He's like a skank fest. We partied with the guy. He was a lot of fun. Um, and he's got a lot of insights on um, like, you know, firstly, cannabinoids, how they affect your brain, running and starting a business. And then our favorite topic, which is, um, you know, dealing with the good old US of A. Enjoy it later. I'm in the burbs. I'm where like... I'm where there's a lot of kids because I got kids. So I I live in a cul-de-sac across the street or, you know, in a neighborhood across the street from a high school. And um, since I live at the end of the cul-de-sac, there's, like, kids all around. And so the front yard's always just kind of, like, got kids and neighbors in it. The backyard's just kind of, like, barbecue and backyard. And I, um, I've, I've given myself a goal to, to buy a pool. That's what I want to do next is try to buy a pool. But... It's a, uh, it's it is bomb to live in a house. Yeah, you know, just me and my wife and my kid. It's it's amazing life. Dude, cul-de-sacs are awesome as it is. Have you done any cool shit at the end of the cul-de-sac? Like put up a half pipe or a basketball hoop or like how are you making use of that dead end life? Dude, so we've got we've got um, we go into the drift tracks is what we do. So. Uh, I bought my son a drift trike. My neighbor's got a drift trike. And then I bought my son this other cool thing that, like, you know, those little hoverboard things that, like, straps onto, like, 
a go-kart mechanism and then you blast through the neighborhood on that thing too. So we kind of commandeer this little cul-de-sac like it's not a street. These kids are running on it, chalking on it. Um, this year for, you know, when my, when my daughter turned 16, I bought her a Honda Civic. You know, she didn't really want to get in the garage and wrench on the car. So I bought my son ahead of him being 16. We bought him the car he wanted that he wanted to wrench on. So you can also find us in the garage at the end of the cul-de-sac working on a 66 Mustang, too. Oh, that is that is like uh, the most romanticized thing in the entire world is working on an old car either with your dad or kids. So kudos on, on that is the American dream right there. Oh, I, dude, I couldn't have. I couldn't have boxed it in any better. I feel like some famous author wrote this into, into existence, and here I am. Yeah. Now, do you actually have mechanic skills, or are you just kind of winging it? Totally have mechanic skills. Not trained by any means. I'm, I'm one of these guys that doesn't go to school to learn things. I just do things and learn them. And so in another life, yeah, as a younger guy, um, when I was in the Army specifically, right, um, we used to call ourselves medicanics because we spent the first half of our day being a medic, second half of our day in the motor pool maintaining our vehicles. So, like, in that scenario, we spent a ton of time looking through manuals on how to tear apart engines and how to, you know, do brakes and how to brake track on, a like, a tank. And um, all of that just is easily transferable. So when you look at, like, a regular civilian vehicle behind, besides all the bells and whistles and, you know, all the electronic stuff that you don't see in military vehicles, the mechanics are just the same, so... To me, just, like, the utmost in... in, in I, I'm just going to call it dudery is like being able to service your own car, basic carpentry that like you can put up shelves and then also maybe like having a little outdoorsy skills like being able to hunt and I can't do one of those things. Not only can I not do any of those things, if like I even start like work, I I get so like I put propane takes on grills and then I'll convince myself that the grill is going to blow up because I'm the one idiot on the planet that can't attach a propane tank to a grill and then I'll make someone come check it. Like that's how both not handy or um, I guess, uh, yeah, that's how good I feel about myself, John, when it comes to serviceman tasks. You know, there's a man that I look up to that's my father-in-law, his name's Ed Zivin, and uh, I look up to that guy. You know, he's accomplished, he's retired, he's got the pool, he's my, my wife's father, I mean, he made the most beautiful woman in the world, and so uh, it's funny because he's just like you, bro, just like you. In fact, uh, the, the, one of the fuses went out on the house, and I'm not an electrician by any means, but I understand electricity works, so I was like, Ed, I got this, you know, you're not going to get a guy here, he's worried about the Frigidaire, right? He's worried about the dang refrigerator losing his food or his food going bad. So I run up to the supply store, I get the the thing, and I have to shut the power in the house down to be safe, right, for like a good half hour. He's sweating bullets with his cell phone in his hand, ready to call a professional (laughs) because he's worried. He's worried that I'm going to electrocute myself, that I'm not going to be able to get the power back on before the Frigidaire loses all the food. Like, this guy, that's you. I am that guy, a hundred percent. I am. I am that person, and I. I don't want to have to be responsible for like, like if I was a carpenter and I built someone's house every night before I went to sleep, I'd call the guy up like, "Hey, has it collapsed yet? Are you guys still okay? Is your family safe? Are you sure nothing's creaking?" I could not handle the responsibility of that. Wow, I took that responsibility on at an early age. I think at like, dude, at like seventeen years old, I was just charging people random money just to do their break and letting them completely drive away. And if they would let me lower their car, I didn't know how to do it, but I could, I could figure it out. 
and they'd pay me and I'd do it and they'd leave and I'd never hear from them again. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully they all made it. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, keep my now. Hopefully they all made it. Right. You, you haven't heard yet, so you can assume that they were good. Hey, I got a question for you. So this is my first time ever in, like, you know, my own place, and I guess that means I get to decorate it the way I want. Uh, and so far, that means I have zero furniture. I basically have a lamp and a desk. That's what I'm running with right now. And today... I, yeah, it's, it's all you could ever really need. I, and I like having the open space. I find a pace around. I like, you know, work out on my floor. I like having the open space. I'm into it. And then today yeah. I was on a phone call and I realized I could totally play hockey in my living room. This is like a thick carpet. I'm on the bottom floor. I can stick handle in here for days. Nobody can hear me. And now I'm thinking I really want to buy a hockey net and just have this room for hockey. Is that totally insane or the best idea anyone's ever had? Best idea anyone's ever had. All right. I say you step it up a level because I saw I saw a commercial the other day. If you're the downstairs neighbor, right, and you're doing stick handling, this kid's got a skateboard deck on top of a log while stick handling in place. No, that sounds like too much. That sounds like a lot of balancing. I don't know that I got that kind of coordination. Okay, then then don't then let's step it down one step from that, and let's get one of those balanced the ones with like half of a yoga ball on the top of the platform. Then. So wait, wait. You gotta, you gotta walk me through this. From what's step one? I gotta build a platform now. No, not a platform. You literally just at the fitness store. You can buy this like tube roll. It's like foam roll, and you use it to like rub. You know. Roll I got a foam out. roller. Oh man, I love a foam okay. roller. I'm all about it. Okay, so you, you got a foam roller. You set that down, like like in between your legs going forward, and then you take a skateboard deck and you stand on that. I have a skateboard deck as well. Okay, so I'm putting the... So is this the skateboard's on the bottom or the skateboard's on top of the foam roller? The skateboard deck is on top of the foam roller, hence the balance. Okay, but when you say the foam roller, because I think I'm looking at it the wrong way, so the foam, the foam, it's like lying down as if I was using it. It's not vertical. Correct. Okay. Oh, and then you're taking the wheels off the skateboard. I've seen people in offices yes. on that. Okay, I'm, I'm with you so far. That I can handle. And then he was balancing on that while stick handling. I think I could pull that off. It would take me some time, but I do think I could pull that off. Well, that's like if you're going for the expert level, right? So, I mean, like, if you're starting out at just stick handling on the carpet, we're in level one, and as you get, as you get perfect that because you have the space to do so and you're, you know, you're throwing some wrist shots into a net every once in a while, now you get to, like, challenge yourself even more if you are, in fact, looking for, you know, just a little bit more. All right. I'm into it. All right. I might as well introduce. Okay. We've got John from Infinite CBD here. And the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is uh, I've got a family member going through some arthritis stuff. And I figured you'd be the best source kind of for uh, THC CBD pain management. Before we get into that, I, I, got, I got a couple questions that I'm super curious about. And my first one is, how did you have the inside scoop on CBD, this gold mine of a product, this healing element? Like, you know, when we first started working with you guys, it might have been two, two and a half years ago. And there were not that many, like, I mean, there were a handful of companies, but it's not like it was now. And you guys clearly had started before, we, you know, we found you and reached out to you, which means you were probably in the market. I don't know. I'm going to assume a year or two before we found you guys. But how did you have the inside scoop on CBD, which is not something, you know, people in my circle even knowed about, knew about until we introduced them to it? You know, it, you're dead on with about a year and a half, two years before we met you guys. We've been doing this a little over four years. I specifically have been in the cannabis space for about 12 years. 
Um, the when I got out of the army in 2006, so about 14 years ago, I had a lot of ailments. Like my back was in pain because I had some ruptured discs, I had some PTSD, um, and, and and so it was kind of hard to survive life with all the pills they give you, right? And, and nothing against the VA. God bless the VA. You know, they take in not only vets, but they take in homeless people. They take in everybody. And so when people do complain about the level of care they get at the VA, I like to remind people that the VA's doors never do close. So consider the places you go to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whose doors never close. You don't get the the serious disposition from those people. Um, But they are definitely doing more work than anyone else. But to, to go back to living life, I was taking all these medications. I was on, I think, about 18 different pills at one time. And, uh... As you can, as you can probably imagine, you take one pill for this, but that pill might have its disadvantages. You might have to take two pills from what your it body becomes does a seesaw. Of other pill. Yeah. Yo, God, yeah, it's a dude. It's a death trap. You know, you, it's like you just feel like a robot. My my only experience with that is um, with Adderall. And so when I was oh, yeah. in co- when I was in college, we used to get the pills, you know, from whoever had the script, and you took it when finals came around, and you got through, right? Then when I got out of college, I was unemployed for a little while, saw a shrink, got diagnosed formally with ADD. Then I saw the psychiatrist, you know, expert in the area who prescribed me Adderall. And I remember the first time I went into a pharmacy and I filled the script and I got it for like no money because it was picked up from insurance. I reacted like that scene in Half Baked when he gets the brick of weed and he almost comes in his pants. Like I was darting out of the CVS like I can't believe that they're actually giving me this medication. This is incredible. And what I discovered is, you know, Adderall's, in my opinion, for me, you know, everyone everyone does their own thing. Adderall's great if you're taking it maybe once a week and, you know, you, you kind of burn some brain chemicals, which I think it's mostly the adrenaline gland. You just kind of burn through that and some of your dopamine. So, like, it's good if you take it once a week and you get through some shit that you wouldn't otherwise want to get through. But I found if I was taking that every day, it, it just, like... The, the anger it would give me. And then what you find is like, they know that, you know, it makes people super anxious. So there's a lot of people that they're basically giving Adderall with like a Xanax combo, which essentially is like, if you were, you know, it's the doctor version of being on heroin and Coke at the same time. And then who knows what they got to prescribe you next because what they're fucking with, with those chemicals, it's like, once you end up in that, in that seriously medicated system, it is an endless spiral. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, like anybody else, would started doing research online. I wanted to figure out something I could do besides this. Oddly enough, at the time, California was doing um, legalization and, and there was like medical, you know, clinics you can go to. And at that time, it was real shady, right? I mean, you go talk to some doctor and you're looking at him like, wow, you're a doctor and there's no medical equipment in here. And you're answering some questions. You get this paper card. You take this piece of paper, you can walk to this other place that looks kind of dodgy, right? And you buy your stuff and you go. And it was kind of funny because I, you know, when I, at the time, you know, when I was married to, um, when I was, you know, talking to my wife at the time about it, I was like, hey, I'm going to go get a prescription. And all she did was judge me, like from the get-go. She was like, oh, you're going to do that? You know, she worked in, in, the, in the hospital. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so... I, I went and got a couple, you know, a, a card or, or, you know, I bought some and I was just like, wow, I feel, I feel fucking amazing. Like I missed this feeling from when I was a kid, when I was in high school and you do more research, you find out that like your body, you know, you as a child had cannabinoid come through your brother's, your mother's breast milk, you know, formula babies didn't get that. There's been cannabinoids that have already passed through. We've already like succeeded from that. And so you, you know, 
when you get to experience that again as an adult or when I did, it just completely freed me of so much, you know, like since I started smoking marijuana, I don't have any, I don't have any dreams of any, anything. I don't dream of military stuff. I was a paramedic, man. I've seen some dumb things and, uh, yeah, no dreams. I don't wake up choking my wife. I think I, you know, I wake up and find a, God dang cereal spoon next to me or something. <laughs> you, know? you found out you ate some munchies, but it's not like you're, yeah. or you did some heroin. Is that what's going on? Like weed really does lead to heroin. You wake up and then you're like, fuck, I did heroin again. No, no. See, I wasn't a gateway like everybody thought. In fact, all I did was smoke weed and then I just want to eat and then I want to sleep. But I didn't have to take 14 pills a day because of this, you know, this drug or this weed that everybody hated so much. And then I started learning more about CBD as I moved out here to Colorado in 2010. And I was still working with, like, great CBD brands like Cheetah Chews and, you know, like, really nice local brands. And then um, CBD started coming around. People started talking about, oh, there's CBD in this weed. This is this got high CBD. And everybody's just like, well, what's CBD? And so we all started doing this research. And I'm just like, dang, this is amazing. You know, this is just no high purely medicinal as it would be, but you can't say the word medicinal because the FDA. So, you know, just clear, you know, I want to make sure that this portion is completely clear that I'm in no way, shape or form saying that THC or CBD or CBD or cannabinoids can cure or heal anything. But I will say that I have had a miraculous response personally about how well it's made my life feel. I've been able to eliminate, you know, a bunch of prescriptions because of it. And because of that, I had to make this available to everybody else. And that's right. what inspired me to create the brand. So I want to back up because I, I got a whole bunch of questions for you. Uh, the Fire first, all right. The first one I want to ask. So wait, tit milk has cannabinoids in it. Your body, when will a mother manufactures cannabinoids internally, and it comes out in tit milk? That's correct. I never heard that. So like formula, that's another. Not only does it make kids puke, but it's it's lacking in cannabinoids. Like. Does that mean that, you, like, in the future, do you think they're going to have a CBD brand, you know, tit, like the powdered tit milk thing? I don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, to be completely honest, you know, there are specific cannabinoids that are, are in there that stimulate the same cell receptors that THC does. And that, you know, that there just hasn't been enough studies around it. They're just starting to allow us to even start to sell these things and make these things available. And none of us have a clue, man. Like, right now, we're starting to do some research on Delta-8 THD. Not Delta-9. Delta-9 gets you really high, right? But Delta-8 is not as psychoactive. It gives you more of the body feel. And so we're doing some research on that, too. And it's crazy now that we kind of, like, opened up Pandora's box, so to speak. We're doing tons of scientific research. You know, we've got a chemist on staff to make sure that we understand how this stuff works. But... If you, if you look online and, and you can Google it up, there's like lots of different articles and stuff. You can look at the national, um, it, there's like cannabis modulators in there. If you look at the National Library of Medicine, there's tons of information and research studies that talk about how natural cannabinoids are being made in the mother's endocannabinoid system and passing through in the breast milk during um, breastfeeding. And, and while they're in, in utero. And so I guess the medicinal theory, except I'll, I guess I'll let you expand on this, but we've got the endocannabinoid system. And so all the way from birth, I guess making use of those receptors and giving them cannabinoids is like a, a pretty natural part of our like human diet almost. I, yes, I would suggest that as my own opinion. Um, but until we have enough research, there's nobody can really say anything about it. I mean, it's just, 
it's like it's brand new for us again because it's been, you know, recently legalized under the 2018 Farm Bill Act. But yes, I mean, potentially it could do tons of things. You know, so why, you wait and see. on that note, I guess why, and it might just be because at some point they made hemp illegal, but, and I, I'm just not a history person, but was there like, you would think if something, I guess, had that much tangible benefit right off the bat, we would have like kind of known about it and stuck with it for a long time. Is the reason why, I guess, hemp and like this entire med- medicinal field has been lacking is is it all just government regulation or was it just you know primitive people weren't as in tune with you know plants and medicine you know it's funny you should ask there's so many opinions out there and so like the my research suggests um that at, at a point in time we um as a people voted or abolished um camp included hemp like 70-something years ago, um, for the purpose of being consumed. We were, in fact, able to grow hemp, though, because, like, as kids, we all know we've had, like, hemp shoes or, hey, look at that cool hemp lotion or whatnot, what have you. But the reality of it was, truly, um, it was outlawed a long time ago. Um, Some people's opinion were because it was going to have such a huge impact on textiles like paper, and it was going to have an impact on cotton, and at the time, you know, that this was outlawed and hemp was going to become such a cash crop, cotton was all still something that was farmed by slavery, and so there's a lot of controversy about why. But ultimately, it did become outlawed, like, you know, 70, 80 years ago. So, like, we're talking in the 40s, you know, just past prohibition, and now we're going to take away this, you know, and this was another vice, so we took this away, and... We only allowed it for research purposes under, like, scrutiny and strict, like, government overwatch. And and it's now been voted on and voted on and voted on so many times. The people have just been like, no, man, I'm doing my own research. And, you know, colleges are still doing studies and just being like, no, I'm going to go ahead and figure this out. And, and us as a people, we are evolving. And, you know, it's my opinion that that scares pharma. I think that scares pharma a ton. I think it scares the government. Um, because, you know, the pharma people who lobby, you know, there's probably a lot of lobbyists out there. And and at the end of the day, you know, like, we're not even really in it for the dollar. We're in it to get the stuff out there. Like, it definitely pays the salaries of 35-plus employees that input the CBD all the time that we're trying to make money. But we're also trying to make it as affordable as possible and get it as far out as we can. All right, and, we're 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 uh, we're jumping around a bunch, but you're just bringing up some interesting shit, and I do want to get back to the army stuff in a second. But I remember, yeah. like maybe 15 years ago, maybe even in high school. That's that's about 15 years ago. I was reading about hemp, and uh, like basically hemp, hemp is kind of like bamboo, or also like mint leaves. And at the end of the day, went like weed. It, it's called weed because it grows like a weed. It doesn't, even though I think to get, you know, your high quality, good THC bud, it takes a lot of tender, loving care. But just to grow weed, it seems like it's one of the easier, you know, one of the easier plants to grow because it grows like a weed. And I remember hearing mm-hmm. of hemp that, like, we're chopping down all these trees for paper. Like, you could be making more sustainable paper out of hemp all day. This stuff's easy to grow. You don't have to cut down trees. It grows really quickly. Uh how come we haven't seen hemp paper? Like, was that just some bullshit I read in high school? Or, like, how come that hasn't come into play yet? Because it's still political, man. There's still a lot of old roots that make paper. You got to think, there's not any new paper companies popping up nowadays. The government, the government doesn't like 
thousands of small businesses to communicate with, man. It's really hard. You got to think that the government only likes to like focus on the giants. So it's, it's good in terms of workload to see giants consume each other, buy each other out, and have a savage environment until like only the strongest survive. Because then it's easy to communicate with just those people as opposed to so many. And get your and, and get your payout. Make sure and get your payout. Yeah. And and that, and that old money is tied to old politicians, old lobbyists, and attorneys on payroll that have just sit there and they're in the people's pocket on elections. And there's so much you know that we're not involved with because we're young, right? Like we jump into business and start it. This 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 like last ten years has been the craziest for me because I think people realize how easy it was to start a business. And it's not. It's, I'm not doing business so much with like the greatest educated business person. And don't mind me. Like I'm not a college educated, like masters in business kind of guy. I'm a street knowledge, army educated, former staff sergeant kind of guy. So I'm a great leader and manager. Been trained great for that. And I just applied that in business. And I do business with people like I would ask for a W nine, and I'm literally asked like, why would I give you that? And that's personal information. And I'm just like, um, in order for me to pay you, I'm gonna need that. <laughs> right. the IRS, it's the law. And then they literally turned me down on the deal. Like, never mind. That's <laughs> if wild. If you can't send it to me on Venmo. And I'm like, cool, bro. It's it's a wild environment. It's a wild environment. But, yeah, it, to go back to answer your question, I think that the reason why we haven't seen it in such mass production is because we haven't been able to grow it as much as we wanted to until recently. But farmers are farming it now like crazy. If you go to hemp expos right now, you're walking in, you're seeing houses made of it. You're seeing plastic made of it. You're seeing paper made out of it, sheets made out of it, clothes made out of it. You're seeing everything you could imagine made out of it, including food. Anything you could imagine could be made from hemp. Hemp is like America's next story. So Maybe. I was, you know, I it was is so flexible. I was interested, and in, I was thinking about this when when I first uh, started working with you guys. I had two ideas for like, man, this CBD stuff moves and it works. That's the other thing that really excites me about CBD is I use it and it works. Like, so it's a product I stand by and I'm happy to work with because it is undeniable, especially the topical cream. That's like the one I use the most of. It is undeniable that that stuff works. Uh, but one of the things I was looking into is in New York State, firstly, Connecticut used to be big time tobacco farms, but New York State used to do a ton of, have like a ton of hemp farms. And I'm wondering how much of that, I mean, it might be swallowed up by good capitalists at this point, but it seems like there's a lot of like old, you know, old land sitting around that used to crop, you know, used to harvest hemp. Is that, a, is that like a cash grab to be grabbing that good farmable land? Or is this something that could really, with modern you know technology, you don't even need good soil, it could be done anywhere, hydroponics, like, you know, it's just a question of being a good farmer and having good farm skills. You know, I'm going to tell you, if it, you could be, you could be, you could be a success either route you take from what you just said. So there's one route you could take. You could grow hydroponically, you can grow it indoors, you can hand trim it, and you're going to get a really good price right now. That is probably the most equitable position in the market right now is hand-trimmed hemp that looks like cannabis because it's legal to sell, it's legal to ship, it's legal to smoke, it gives everybody all of the experience minus the high, and that would probably be the most beneficial. I would even say to do that on land. You know, you only get one season on land if you can put a big farm out there hire a bunch of hands, cash grab all day. You're getting, I've seen people charging upwards of 375 a pound at the top end. And that means a lot to somebody who used to buy it for 
$25 to $19 a pound to process it into oil. And so now the market is diversifying. So you're going to see this industry basically double, double, double itself because first, first we did this oil grab. We did all these projects with oil. Now we're going to start sending out this flour grab. So, yep, farming is definitely beneficial. Product is selling. Then after we get through that flower grab, then we got to see how the market's going to diversify again. We're probably going to populate a different cannabinoid every single time for a little while, probably a decade. All right. So let's get into that because that was one of the questions I had on my list is that you told me a year ago, you're like, hey, man, CBD is cool, but just wait till they isolate CBG and just wait till they isolate. And I guess what you were somewhat explaining to me is when you're smoking weed, so THC is one of the elements in there. That's what's getting you high. Then you've got the CBD, which has a bunch of medical benefits, but then you've got a whole bunch of other cannabinoids that once you guys start isolating them, you can find that each one kind of has a very specific benefit. Uh, so what do you kind of, like, firstly, why hasn't that happened yet? Is it a technology thing that you got to, you know, be able to figure out how to isolate the independent, like, cannabinoids? And what do you kind of see as coming next or being the next, you know, big one that we're going to be hearing about? So Delta-8, I think, is going to be the next big one. We're doing some research in the lab and making products for people right now um, with Delta-8. And, and to kind of make that clear is, like, Delta, there's, there's, different, there's different molecules in the structure of um, of, 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 a, of a cannabis, a cannabinoid. So um, delta eight THC specifically is very much like delta nine THC. Delta nine THC is the one that we've all been attributed to say, "Hey, this is what's getting me high," right? And so delta eight only exists. It also exists naturally and fractions of a percent normally, but we're finding value in concentrating those cannabinoids for unique effects and applications. Um, specifically, people have said that it gives them like everything but the high. Some people say it actually does give them a little bit of the high. And the cool part about it is it's still Farm Bill compliant. So it still, still falls under the law of the 2018 Farm Bill Act. It's still derived or a derivative of an extract of industrial hemp with a fraction of THC under 0.3%. So, so therefore, go ahead. So if I get you correctly, in terms of pain management, the THC-8, which is not getting you high, um, might really create that body effect. And so that might be an incredible tool specifically for the pain management. Is that is that kind of the idea? So I can't really say that. You know, because of the FDA, and I'm not allowed to make any claims, but um, it's Delta-8, so it's not THC-8, it's oh, Delta-8-THC. Okay. Um, and Delta, if you look it up, it's like a triangle. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a chemist, so I'm not going to be able to break that part down, but if you want on another show, we can bring the chemist on if you want to break it down to some pretty crazy levels and understand how THC works. It's pretty fun. Um, but essentially, this is just like thc and you can sell it on the legal market, so it can be sold, and I can basically be shipped all over the nation legally and give you, like, a tiny fraction of what THC would, but the rest of everything else. Cool. So, uh, by the way, on that note of, you know, you got your chemist who can explain how THC hits you differently. So, I I'm so curious, like, I, I know people talk about, like, the Indicas and the Sativas, 
But even within your range of weeds, I would say I'm more of a drinker than I am a pot smoker. I still I smoke weed, but like not that often. But one of the reasons I, I really like uh, I prefer drinking to weed is that th- there's no gamble to it. Um, I know you smoke like you smoke weed all the time, so it's like you know you know what you're gonna get. I don't, and I find like if I'm out socially, the last thing I want to do is like smoke weed, and then I find out like oh this is one of the ones that makes me more introverted or makes me anxious or makes me depressed. Um, I've noticed that on the edibles, like a five milligram edible seems to be a real uppity experience. But then on the same note, I kind of miss when I was in high school, I lived in Washington Heights. They had really good purple haze weed and that shit was the best. If you just wanted to be in your house, eat junk food and jerk off. That thing is what got you to just, you get lost in music. And I find whatever that experience is, it might just be that my brain chemistry has changed. I haven't quite found like, I, I, I get, what is it about weed that it can, like, just hit you so differently? It's almost like, I don't know, sprinting, or like, it's like Russian roulette of what, what's the sensation going to be? And I understand that that's not if you're a daily smoker, because there was a time when I was a daily smoker. Got you. And, then, and you actually had no idea, but you already told yourself exactly how this works, and all I'm going to do is unlock your verbiage, Rob. Fair? Please. Okay, great. So you said when you smoke something that's purple and it just lays you in the couch, right? Purple? Well, that was in, in high school. I can't even get my hands on that weed. And apparently they say they've lost like the original purple haze strain. But yes, we were smoking the old school purple haze. Purple. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I, dude, that, I mean, when I tell you the rest of this, it's going to probably break your mind open a bit. So okay. Strap, your, strap in. So back in the day... Marijuana's bad, again, remember, we're not allowed to do any science on it, right? And so we're layman's back in the day. This is like before five to seven years ago. So we called sativa sativa, we called indica indica. But if you look up what sativa refers to and indica refers to, it's talking about what the plant looks like as it grows. So an indica is short and squatty with really fat leaves, a really darker green, whereas a sativa is tall and more branchy, a little lighter in green. And, and back then before these things had been bred so much, it was known that, all right, well, the tall one with the branchy stuff, that's the wakey stuff. So we'll call that sativa, because that's how the plant looks, and that other stuff over there, that's indica. And that made sense when it was just OG Kush, but then so many people have bred OG Kush with dirt and poison and created so many other breeds after that that you can no longer trust the words indica or sativa. Instead, you need to trust your nose. And so... The thing that you said about the purple weed, purple weed is high in a thing called linalool, and that is a terpene. That's an essential oil found. It's one of many essential oils that make up the different um, feelings you get when you consume cannabis. So linalool is something that you find also in lavender. And so you know how baby Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo has lavender in it? Well, that's what the intent to calm. And so linalool is known to calm people. So consuming THC, you get high. Linalool comes into the picture, modulates that high, makes you chill out a little bit. And there's other chirpings besides the linalool in that that also make you hungry, probably a little bit of limonene. Or if it's haze, it's like terpinaline. And it's crazy because those terpenes drive your high. So it doesn't matter what the plant looks like to you or indica. It's all about what terpenes are in there. So what terpene, like, is the terpene to go to if you just want to be, like, fucking uppity but focus like a motherfucker because there's some weed so and you're, you're looking yeah. for like lemony like citrus lemony stuff you're looking for haze so haze is like you know that funky kind of silvery smell that you smell on the backside of something it's not the fruity 
and it's not the gassy, it's that other one. This... And and if you smoke that, your focus, that's like the mess of, like Durban poison is like the mess of cannabis. If I smoke Durban poison, I swear I can get an extra set of reps in, or I could stack like five more pounds on my plates and... It, it may be in my head, but I swear to God, that's like the best pre-workout there is. So when are we going to synthesize just like Durban Poison, you know, infinite CBD pre-workout? Is that in the works? Or <laughs> It's funny you should say that. No, it's not. But we do have three terpene variation droppers that we use specifically to help people who are looking for a modulated experience. Um, we're not, you know, at liberty or allowed to say by any means that those things really make you feel in a certain way. But, you know... Uh, if you look a lot of like up a lot of Roma therapy sites, even those websites are going to guide you in the same direction. Everything that you would experience in aroma therapy, um, it to set a mood to make you feel some certain kind of way. You can experience that with kind of anything, you know, in, in any situation, CBD or not. Those terpenes are going to make you feel that way. All right, and are you guys considering, or would you like to get into the weed game? Is that because if you guys are processing all this stuff? Um, I assume, you know, you got to have some weed concentrate sitting around. I would think like, it, it's almost weird to me to run a CBD company without a weed company. Cause I think if you're in a state where it's legal, you could separate the two items or is it a legal thing where they force you to just be one or the other? No, no, we totally can. And we're actually looking into some opportunities right now. We currently license like some of our technology and some labs to do, you know, THC work and we work very closely with some like other different like dispensaries and brands um when we do work with like celebrities so we we actually i'm not we we recently signed a contract actually um and we are going to be the manufacturers of little bootsy's new up-and-coming um brand of cbd products we're really excited man he really loves the products and it's going to be an amazing launch and so we're going to be creating a whole line just for him and so we're working with him on that. And then we also have some other things that might be coming up in the works where we're going to be licensing some THC products for him in some states, too, with some infinite kind of formulations. So uh, look out for some real cool stuff. Who's that? We, we, Who, who's the artist again? A little, a little boozy badass. He's, a, he's an older artist. He's, he's, uh, that, that guy is, is uh, super business savvy, and he's um, involved in a lot of great, great projects right now so we're super excited and honored to work with him all right I, i'm gonna have to look him up he almost sounds like a an old drugged out country star just based off the name you know no country take that back and and put it go more boys in the hood and a little less um a little less uh what was that one country movie where the dudes liked each other a little less that and a little <laughs> bit more boys in the hood. All right, fair enough. Uh, so in dealing with the FDA or just the government in general, what are some of the, I guess, dumbest legislations that you've come across that you think have really gotten in the way of, I guess, people being able to, uh, you know, be educated about these products or just kind of even just run your business? Like, what is some of the worst of government that you've experienced in terms of, you know, just trying to get your product out there? You know, when it comes to the government, the, the, the thing that's a challenge with them is our system is great, right? I mean, we built the system based off of what? How, how long ago did we build the Constitution and how long ago, you know, did we ratify it and how long ago did we do that and what was our mindset then? And so, 
man, I, I considered this. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I thought that maybe this would come up in something I'm talking about. Um, a lot of people consider the FDA their enemy, and, and right now I'm trying to, as hard as I can to be their ally. And I think um, recently, I don't know if you've read about it, but we are participating in a case study with 10 other amazing CBD brands, or maybe 11 right now, but um, including Charlotte's Web, us, um, uh, and, and some other notable brands. And at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're going to be giving information to the FDA to help them, you know, legislate. That's really exciting for us. But when you look at the rules, and this is what's hard, and this is what's hard for the FDA, and this is what's hard for the people to understand, is our system is so antiquated that you got to understand there are 27 other laws probably, right, that are referenced in how to become a licensed, you know, how to be able to say, I, I can say this. And when you look at these laws, like, oh, you can't say this food tastes delicious if this is this and this is this, that, and it's like this law, and you go back to this law, and then this law over here, it's, it's written way before the 2018 Farm Bill Act, so really, it has no inclusion of you. It has no idea you even exist. It doesn't even apply to you. And so you find out that you're being eliminated on so many fronts because the law hasn't been written yet, but you're being held accountable for other laws that refer to those laws, and you're like, dude, how can you do that? It's because of the way their laws are written, and they are just doing their job the way they have to because there is no foresight, like, hey, we're going to create all these new programs, and hey, let's make it easy for all these people to get in. And some would say that the system is made hard to raise the bar and the barrier of entry and to eliminate the people who don't have the heart to keep going because those aren't the people that they want to, you know, rule the economy. Some would say that it's just antiquated and it's hard to turn around the Titanic. I'm going to assume innocence. I hate, um, I, I hate negativity, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to dog them. I'm just going to accept the challenge. You know, the thing that the one thing that was hammered into my head in the army was adapt and overcome. Nowhere in there is they whine or complain about it. It's just that adapt and overcome. All That's right. what we do. Fair enough, dude. I'm a sales guy myself, so positive mental attitude, control what you can. And I always liked uh, this this because I, I do follow the news and I rant and rail about everything government all the time. That's mostly what we do on this podcast. It's definitely a safe space for negativity and complaining. But I remember I once heard from Grant Cardone. He said, like, make news. And I thought that was such an interesting take. It's like instead of, like, reading the news and caring about all this other shit, you know, it's like control what you can. You can still go make an income. Go go make news, you know? Go write your own. So that's kind of your philosophy. It's not what I do because I like to complain. That's what that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at working on cars. Um, but I can definitely respect where you're coming from on that. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, got, I had to be positive to get here. I, I, I was raised super poor. I came from nowhere. I had I got diagnosed with ADD at a young age. My mom did not trust the medicine, so she just let me go undiagnosed. And sometimes I was just super crazy, and I found it to be a super. I found it to be a talent as a CEO because I feel like, you know, it's easy for somebody to focus on one thing, and it's uh, it's a challenge. But I can focus on so many different pieces of the puzzle at one different time. And it's beauty because I get to be a visionary where I'm not the guy who's doing the execution. You know, I love to claim all the talent or, you know, all the success is mine, but I can't. You know, yeah, I got two great partners, Steve and Ryan. Um, that guy does 90% of the moving parts to this puzzle. I just sit in the front and make it look pretty. 
All right. So next question I got for you is as more of the money filters into, I actually thought that this was going to happen and it hasn't happened yet. I thought at some point we're going to hit a threshold where so many traditional products are not being consumed because people have moved over to CBD, that there's going to be enough money that, you know, some of the big pharma guys like maybe Tylenol finally shakes down whatever senator that they're working with that all of a sudden it becomes difficult to advertise you guys and then they come out with Tylenol CBD. Um, at what point do you think like the market might, you know, consolidate uh, do you think is is part of like what you guys are doing, like the race to be in CVS, be that brand? Do you think at some point Icy Hot will just become Icy Hot plus CBD? Uh, I'm curious to hear like your projections for kind of the general marketplace. You know, bro, I think that companies like me have been sending samples to companies like those for the past four years. We've had all these unicorns that come in and they go and they ask for samples of this and samples of that, raw ingredients this, and some tell you that they're Anheuser-Busch, some tell you that they're, you know, um, Philip Morris. You don't know who you're dealing with. Lots of smoke and mirrors because, you know, until the product is legal, 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 until the FDA steps in and gives legal boundaries so that there's no risk. Because all of us guys, we, we're, all the, we're all the chunks that assumed all the risk in the beginning, right? We're the pioneers in the industry. We risked them coming in and shutting us down and our bank accounts being closed. We did all that. And what's going to happen is um, Philip, the Philip Morrises of the world, the Heineken, or not Heineken, the Anheuser-Busch and them, they, they already probably have their products ready to go. I bet you the moment you see some legislation that comes in and gives them rules, and I'm betting those rules are going to be in benefit of those companies. They're just waiting for that launch to happen so that they can level the playing field and be the only one on the shelf. That's when you're going to see, you know, who is really got some guts and who really left their guts on the table. Um, you're seeing a lot of companies selling and closing right now. I mean, COVID's been uh, a major uh, attack on the market, not so much retail online, because online's crushing. Like, everybody's getting great online sales, but you got to consider, if your city's closed down, that means that the place that wholesales our product out to you so you can buy it locally, they're closed too. So you take, like, 50% of the revenue off the table right there, you may increase 10% of the revenue on the front side on the, e- on the e-commerce stuff, but you still got to make sure your team's on board. So you keep everybody fed and you keep the lights on no matter what, because that's the biggest priority. And one day... I'm hoping that, you know, we are that company. I'd like to be the, you know, quote-unquote Marlboro or Philip Morris of the CBD industry. I'd like to be the one who helps, you know, create great products with great, you know, ethics. Well, you guys certainly have quality products, and you're at the front of this thing, so you're definitely a contender. And, you know, at a minimum, hopefully they don't just kind of – it seems like you guys are solidified enough that you'd be hard to take out. Um, so it, also you got first mover advantage, especially with some of like the marketplaces that you've already picked up that I can't imagine, you know, if all of a sudden it's Tylenol plus CBD, I don't know. Or if, for example, Icy Hot, I can't tell you the last time I bought, like I'd have no reason to go back to Icy Hot. I have no reason for it. You've already converted me. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, there's a difference, though. Like, I see how it can be prescribed. I see how it is considered a drug. So, you know, so is Tylenol. Those things are considered drugs. They, um, you know, have prescriptions available, and they are sold on a whole different network. 
I do anticipate seeing those things pop up as soon as legislation happens and being that they're licensed as a drug because they're considered analgesic, those 100%, you know, if, if the legislation pops up and they're like, hey, great, cool, everybody, we can do CBD, but now you have to have a drug license, then you're going to see a major shift happen real quick. You're going to see a bunch of players get cut from the table, like, dead off. Like, not everybody has, you know, the, the liberty to have, like, an attorney on board and stuff like that to help you mitigate that, that, that C real fast. Uh, I would hate to see that happen quickly. Right. All right. And then the last question I got for you, and I really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us all this deep well of THC and CBD knowledge. Um, so your products, I take a bunch of them. I like the, uh, the the nano tincture. I put that in my coffee. I drink a lot of coffee all day. I find that keeps me calm and focused. Um, your lube, we don't have to get too in, in detail about my jerking off habits, but it's, it, it's fantastic. I don't understand how you made jerking off better or why your lube is... It creates so many more sensations than another lube, but we, we don't need to get into the science on that one. I'll just tell you it works. But the one that really blows my right. mind more than anything, and the lube is pretty fantastic, is like the topical creams. Like I've just had times where I I know that I've overworked out and something's going to be sore as fuck. And if I get ahead of it and like put that shit on before I go to bed, things just aren't sore. That one really blows my mind just as to how that like functions as well as it does. I also had like a, I tore a pec muscle and it was not getting better for a while. And then I started like really massaging it with the, uh, with the, you know, the topical cream and it made a world of a difference. Um, but in terms of like the real pain management, which luckily I, I don't have that in my life. I don't have any like severe pain. Um, but you know, people as they get older or they got things like arthritis or kind of the chronic issues, which are real bad. I think probably the stuff that happens to people the most, which I think you said is the lower back and the disc breaks, like that kind of shit where you're just living in, in fucking pain. Um, so I'm curious to hear what some of your recommendations are for, the pain management for people who are looking to really not be getting high at all. You know, I, I get it. Massage in general is going to stimulate the body. It's going to increase blood flow and it's going to help the body to like release some of those lactic acids that built up in your muscle tissue from really pushing hard. Right. And, and truth be told, you know, if you didn't push yourself hard, you really didn't gain anything you know, out of the workout, right? So, like, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And if you feel that pain, that means you actually, you know, broke up some muscle tissue. You disrupted so much tissue that you created new ribs, and that's how you bulk up. And, you know, all these one thing leads to another. So I would say one of my best, one of my best recommendations with our products or, you know, with products in general is if you go sit in a sauna or if you can apply some, like, direct heat to the area that's going to, like, really hurt you the next day, really warm it up real nice. Then you get our sap stick um, that like built, it kind of comes out like a deodorant stick. You put that in the freezer, and it lets it get real hard. Now, mind you, it's oil, so it's not going to like freeze, freeze, but it's going to get really hard, and it's going to get really cold, cold enough to where you can dig it into whatever area you just really worked out. And since you just brought it off of that heat that I told you about, so you pull the heat off of it, you throw that sap stick on it, and you really grind it into the area that you just got done working out. And, uh, bro, I'm telling you, I've never been sore the next day from that. Now, I can't say that that is medical or that's guaranteed, but for me, works every time. There you go. It's the John from Infinite CBD Medical Health Claim Guarantee. CBD will cure everything. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> Do your research. Don't get the man in trouble. John, I, th I appreciate you so much coming on, dropping some info for us.